My three-point message today is a continuance of just a distilled, concentrated theme, and it's God is good, God is powerful, and God is present. Say that with me. God is good. God is powerful. God is present. Now, God is good. In fact, John 10.10 says it this way, very succinctly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Lucifer, the fallen angel. Evil took a third of the angelic host in rebellion against God because of pride and then slithered into the garden and got up confrontationally with Adam and Eve very, at the very beginning of humanity and undermined their original awareness of, how, of their, their purpose, their place. So much was disrupted. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The collateral damage was alienation and separation. They were banished from the garden, but God promised he would send somebody. Greater love has no man than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. God sowed the seed of Jesus on the cross on Calvary. He died. He was buried. The grave couldn't hold him. He blasted out of the tomb. He uh, ascended. He resurrected and ascended, and then he sent the Holy Spirit. We're in an amazing time right now. God is powerful. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's not weak toward us. He's mighty in us. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes. There's might and power. He's almighty. He's the almighty God. He's not impotent. He's omnipotent. He's almighty. He is supernaturally strong toward you, mighty toward you. His word is working mightily in us. Strong is he who carries out his word, Joel the prophet stated in the Old Testament. And he watches over his word to perform it. And his word, according to Jeremiah 1.12, and it says that in Hebrews 4.12 that his word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. So, man, I pray this really gets over to you today. So I want to go to Psalm 100. Let's read this out loud. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Well, we've done this so far. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Look at this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, here we go. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness, look at this, to all generations. Let's say the last part. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Say it again. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for this amazing truth. So here we are, captivated by this, gripped with the reality of this last particular verse. The Lord is good. I'm not making this up. This is not candy-coated. This is not cheap grace. This is not uh, some sort of superficial thing. This is very, 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 very deep. What I'm presenting to you is not something new. There's nothing new under the sun. In fact, this is ancient truth. And I'm bringing it and extracting it from the deep, deep wells of salvation. The Lord is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness 
to all generations. Recently, I did a little bit of study about this word loving kindness. And it's a word in Hebrew, chesed. It appears 248 times in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible. And it is such a deep aspect of God that I think we in the Western civilization don't have a lot of real reference to it. This is from the Middle East. This is actually an Eastern idea of a behavioral conduct that results from a covenant between two parties. A covenant was very clearly known back in these early periods. God made a covenant with Abraham. A covenant was an agreement, an arrangement. And Abraham responded. God called him. He said, here I am. Yes, they responded. There was a sacrifice of animals. Blood was shed. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. He walked through those, that pathway and entered into an arrangement, an agreement. And God said, hey, look, man, you're going to be the father of many nations. There are some things I'm going to do in your life. There are things I'm going to pronounce over you, things I'm going to perform in you, and I'm going to be faithful to it. And then God went on to commit. He had a covenant with Moses, a covenant with David. Now, I'll tell you the reason I'm preaching this as a Christian is because in the Bible it says, get this, we actually have a new covenant inaugurated or enacted on better promises. So it's not going to do any of us any good if we don't understand what a covenant is and we don't understand that the promises are better if we don't understand the promise of the original covenant. Around 300 AD, when Constantine became uh, he was the leader over the Roman Empire, and he decided to make Christianity the state religion. There was something of a replacement kind of idea where it was uh, actually disparaging of the Jewish uh, covenant, that somehow it was all replaced, uh, and they're done away with, and there's no uh, more uh, purpose there. A problem with that is that the Scripture teaches, it's unscriptural, the Scripture teaches that God made an everlasting covenant with the Jewish people. And so because that's an everlasting covenant and it's not replaced and it's not gone away, we then in the New Testament with this covenant, a new covenant inaugurated on better promises, can be just absolutely made secure, supernaturally confident with a higher degree, a heightened degree of expectation than we've ever had in our lives. In fact, today, your faith is going to be stirred, stimulated, strengthened, you're going to come into some new awareness that of God's faithfulness. It's going to heighten your sense of expectancy on God because God is a covenant-keeping God. God is faithful to all generations. That's why when we read the Bible and we're to rightly divide the Scripture, we need to understand you know, who it's written to. We need to make sure we study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God, handling accurately the word of God. So if it says rightly dividing, then we could wrongly divide it. If it says handling accurately, then we can handle it improperly. It says not to adulterate the word of God. That means you can adjust and manipulate it, and we must not do that. We need to judge scripture with scripture. We need to understand certain biblical laws, the questions of biblical interpretation. Number one, who is speaking these words? Number two, to whom are they being spoken? And number three, for what purpose are they spoken and under what period are they spoken? This will help us because, for example, in the scriptures, there's discussion about Zion. Zion is Israel, but it also sometimes talks about the church. Church is Zion. 
See, the replacement theology just erases it all, but there still are verses that pertain specifically to that everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. 1948, a nation was birthed. In the 80s, uh, glasnost, the perestroika happened, and all the, uh, many of the dispersed Jews that were pushed up into Europe were liberated to be able to leave and to return to the homeland. Interesting, that was prophesied in the scriptures, and in our lifetime, we're seeing scriptural fulfillment happening right before our eyes. That may not be a big deal to you. It certainly was to those European Jews who for centuries had been dispersed and had, by the way, been manipulated and mistreated by the hostility of anti-Semitism. Why? Because they're covenant people and the devil hates them and the anti-Semitism is of the devil, period. In fact, all racism is. So we understand that from every nation, tribe, tongue, and dialect all around the throne, there will be people, there will be a hearty representation singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This will bring resolve in some of our limited, stupid thinking and help us to come to terms with how big and how great our God is. Man, this pertains to so much general stuff, big stuff, biblical, end-time prophecy and harvest of souls and revival amongst the church and supernatural things that are taking place around about us that pertains to you if you're on chemo right now, you're on blood thinners or you're battling depression or you're going through the hardship of your life. I'm going to tell you, God is faithful when you feel like it and when you don't. And I'm telling you, this will help you in your faith. This word has said, everybody say, has said, Hesed is uh, conduct corresponding to a mutual relationship of rights and duties. It's conduct corresponding to a mutual relationship of rights and duties. David had a covenant, a hesed, with, his, with Jonathan, uh, the son of Saul. When Jonathan died, that actually carried over to Jonathan's descendants. This is how serious this mindset is amongst the Middle Eastern mentality. In modern time, I'll just tell you, Andrew Zimmern, the bizarre food guy that eats bugs and stuff, Jewish guy from Brooklyn or New York, he, he's over there in a Bedouin tent in a Middle Eastern country with a family of Muslims. They're descendants of Abraham and they understand in their culture what I'm talking about here. Not just warm hospitality, but obligatory, loyal love. A covenant of marriage should have obligatory, loyal love through high times and hard times. This will help you. It's like, and, and I don't like the term, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, uh, necessarily, but really in the vicissitudes and challenges of life, commitment is such a value. And Western civilization doesn't know that because people just kind of renege on their commitments. My dad taught me that you're as good as your word. Your word is your bond. Got that from the Bible. That actually came from the Judeo-Christian model. It actually comes from this whole idea of said, has said that the Lord is good. His loving kindness, his mercy, his grace is everlasting. But it's not just, see, our English words, though those are rich. I mean, think about grace, his grace. I mean, that's a great word. Grace is God's willingness to work on our behalf and pour out his blessing even though we don't deserve it. So we get what we don't deserve. Mercy, 
is we don't get what we deserve. Right? Grace is we get what we don't deserve. Mercy is we don't get what we deserve. We deserve to go to hell because of our sin. But by the mercy of God, he saves us so we can actually stand before God who is so faithful in his conduct of correspondence with this mutual relationship he made with Abraham. He said, look, I'm faithful to you and I'm going to be faithful to you to all generations. And then he comes along through Jesus Christ and people, Jewish people who understand this covenant-keeping nature of God, they're calling out upon him. But let's say this, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Now this mercy is loyal, obligatory love. His loyal, obligatory love endures forever. We have to understand in a world that's dismissive, I'm an agnostic, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's a God. Listen, it is he that made us and not we ourselves. We're under the discipline of these realities. We've embraced the, say, when he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By the way, there are three categories of people in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10, 32. Give no offense. You know what that means? Don't be a jerk. Don't be a hater. Don't be offensive. Don't be annoying. This is Paul the Apostle by the Holy Spirit saying, don't be a pain through life. To any of these groups, either to Jews, everybody say Jews. To Greeks, everybody say Greeks. And to the church of God, everybody say the church of God. This is a very distilled, and this is a, this is a very clarifying moment in the Bible. He's telling the Corinthians, the goyim, the word Greek, the reason it's Greek is because the Hellenistic impact on the world at the time of the writing of the Bible, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. The Greek empire and the Roman empire were having a huge the Hellenistic Empire was huge at that moment. What this would be in the Hebrew would be goyim. Jews, goyim, church. Three categories of people. Jews, covenant people, but that, are blind, that have blindness right now. Non-Jews, the nations, they're not covenant people, and they need to be saved. And the church a covenant people that's been pulled out of the pit and has been redeemed of the Lord and has entered into the promises of God and walks by faith and not by sight and learns how faithful God is so there can be an impact. And like Paul said in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. For the just shall live by faith. Here we are. Don't overanalyze this. Some of you are geniuses. Some of you are very philosophical. Some of you have logic. You were so gifted in algebra. I wish I sat by you in high school. <laughs> Some of us, you know, it's just boil it down for me. Keep it simple. In any case, we're all in this together. And it is he that made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Listen, Paul never said I'm a completed Jew. He was a new creature. I got a text from a wonderful pastor in town. He said, I'm teaching on the new a series on the new creation. I said, man, when you introduced that to me so many years ago, it changed my life. He said, it changed mine too. I said, man, Paul, who was so messed up, got quite a revelation. He said, yeah, he got an amazing download. 
Paul said, it's no longer, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. He said of his flesh, he said, his pedigree was, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Benjamite Jew. I was a Pharisee. I was a Roman citizen. Blah, 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 blah. He said, all that I count as nothing in view of the excellency of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a Goyim. I'm a believer. That's my identity. Praise God. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. One translation says, a new species of being which never before existed. This is fascinating. The world needs this. Because in Ephesians it says, the dividing wall has been broken between the Jew and the Gentile. Now we're one. It's an amazing situation. In Christ, it's a whole new order of things. But don't ever lose sight of the covenant-keeping nature of God with Abraham, with David, with Moses, and so forth. Because if we let that slip, then we have to follow that logic and we have to let our situation slip. And then it's like we're all on shaky ground. But the fact is, the firm foundation of the Lord stands. He's faithful to all generations. So here we are, this side of redemption. Recently I said we need to judge the Bible in the light of our redemption. That's kind of an incomplete point. As Christians, that's how we view things. We see the Old Testament in light of what Jesus did on the cross. If I were Jewish and I was raised in Orthodoxy and I went to Hebrew school and I embraced Jesus as Messiah, I would realize that I'm a new creature in Christ. I would realize that if I, if I had embraced the Messiah, Jesus as Messiah, then I would realize there is a new covenant that has taken place and that I would be in this new order of things. And this issue of hesed, this conduct corresponding to mutual relationship, the rights and the duties, this will help you. I heard preachers say this, when you go to God to pray, you make your demand before God. When I, I, that used to bother me. It offended my personality. My personality is like, whoa, God's holy. And who am I to go in and tell him commands and orders? So a lot of you have similar personalities like that. He's holy. I heard one preacher say, God is our buckler, not our butler. But on the other hand, when you have an understanding of God's commitment, when you have understanding of his great, big, beautiful availability as a heavenly father, Jesus revealed God as a heavenly father. He pulled the curtain back and said, have you met my father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what I meant by judging the Bible in the light of our redemption. Get to know Jesus, you guys. Watch him in the villages. Watch him with the people. Watch him when he was walking. Jairus goes, he falls down at his feet. He's a, he's a temple official. He's a, an important rabbinical type of leader. And my daughter's sick. My daughter's, and it, you know, medical care was terrible then. It's like, my daughter's dying. Help, help. And Jesus says, I'll help you. And he's walking with him. And while they're walking, there's crowds because Jesus, stuff is happening around Jesus because God is powerful. God is good. God's powerful and God's present. Jesus is the, is the word made flesh. He, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My desire, my calling is to do the will of the Father. I came to seek and save that which is lost. Signs and wonders were following him. Miracles, attesting miracles were happening all around him. And, they, and, and so Jairus caught wind of this. Please help me, please help me. And so Jesus says, I'll help you. And while he's walking through the crowd, a woman 
in Mark chapter 5 with a hemorrhage for 12 years, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging. Her electrolytes are depleted. Her blood platelets are depleted. Her systems are down. There's nobody transfusing. There's nobody giving her units of blood. The Red Cross hadn't happened yet. She suffered at the hands of physicians. I mean, they were, you know, they used to do cutting in their heads and bloodletting. Imagine bloodletting with somebody who's already bleeding. All of her money, all her resources were gone. She, just like Jairus, she hears about Jesus. She says, man, if I could just get a hold of that, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She pressed through the crowd, got a hold of his garment. Jesus felt virtue, powerful. God is good, God is powerful, and God is present. When Jesus was there, she engaged her need, and here's what she put a command, a demand on the availability of the conduct corresponding to mutual relationship of rights and duties. Well, well, Jairus had the right and duty because of his prestige and his position. No, that wasn't what moved Jesus toward Jairus' daughter. What moved Jesus toward Jairus' daughter was purely his love to help a hurting person. He's available to all. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn or judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, how to, what an amazing availability. I've seen this with people at deathbeds who lived crummy lives. And at their last breath, I've seen people come to Jesus out of darkness to light. I've seen people who walked by with God for decades and decades who went through many spiritual battles and walked by faith and not by sight, endeavored to walk the love walk, skint their knees, fell down again and again. The righteous fall seven times, but the Lord picks them up. I watch people get healed through process and healed through just an instant moment. I've watched amazing things happen. You have too. But watch how good God is, how powerful God is, how present God is. He said, who touched me? The disciples said, Lord, there are all these people touching. They're bumping into you. He goes, no, but who touched me? Crowd parts. He sees this woman. She's, he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. He didn't go, why did you do that? Jairus, you just drained out all that original intention that was supposed to go to my... There was plenty. There's plenty. It wasn't like Jesus said, sorry, man. You know, the cloud just passed. There's no more virtue. No, Jesus is powerful. He is undiminished in his power. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We quote this a lot. I am the Lord, I change not. We think that's awesome. But actually, that's a verse to the Jews. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, will not be consumed. I've been watching all my life from the Holocaust and studying it. I've known people that have come through that. You probably have too. Seeing recent attitudes toward the Jewish people. They're covenant people. They're God's people and the devil hates them. That's why that stuff's happening. That's where all this racism comes from. It's stupid. Jews, goyim, church. Give no offense to Jews. Give no offense to the nations. Give no offense to the church. We're to love people. Love people. Love people. We're to walk in non-offensive behavior. This will jerk the slack right out of us. Especially when we go, okay, God, you, I give thanks to the covenant-keeping God because he's good. And his loyal, obligatory love endures forever. I love these examples in the scriptures. 
I love these examples. Jesus is walking to Jericho, and uh, the disciples are all with him. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. Look at this. It says they came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and uh, it says a large crowd, a blind beggar named Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have loyal, obligatory love on me. You are a covenant-keeping. You're representing a covenant-keeping God. And on the, on the facts of his provision, I am trusting you to do something in my life. Look what the disciples did. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David! Look, that's a deity term. Because the Messiah was to be of the lineage of David. Bartimaeus heard about Jesus and his heart mixed in with it and he thought, this is the coming Messiah. This is the one we've been looking forward to. He was blind, so he didn't see any miracles, but he heard about it because he couldn't see. So he heard about it. Faith comes by hearing. He heard about it and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this is where there's a difference between, I'm going to come in here, tell you, God, I need this in Jesus' name. You know, I've heard that. I find it offensive the way it's been presented. But I don't find this offensive. In fact, we're not to be squeamish or sheepish about this. This is different than just going in and barking orders to God. This is where God's actually saying, I want you to understand how good I am, how powerful I am, how present I am to help, how I will cause all things to work together for good. You get your faith up in this situation. Come to me with the promises that I put before you and just watch and put a confident expectation in the availability of God. He's faithful. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you in my lifetime. I'm going to see the salvation of the Lord. I'm going to get answers to prayers. I'm going to stand on the promises of God because you watch over your word to perform it. Notice it's not cocky. It's confidence. And in fact, God goes, I've been waiting for you to have this attitude of confidence. See, none of us want to go, you know, no. But what it is is, God... I figured something out from reading the Bible. You're so good. And you want me to be bold. The Bible says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Not cockiness. I want to say what it is and what it isn't. That's what offended me over the years. But this inspires my faith. Like the woman with the hemorrhage, she was very reverent. But she was adamant. I'm going to get what I need. Jairus was adamant. He fell at his feet. Please help me. This guy... Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, it's translated into Greek, but he's a Jew. So what is he saying? Son of David, faithfulness from God is for everlasting. He never changes. This is our generation here. The Romans are oppressing us. I'm standing by the rubble of the Jericho walls that Joshua and Caleb commanded to come down. And here I am sitting over here on the side, and I will not be ignored. Even the disciples sternly, don't, 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 don't mess with him. And he says, and then look what Jesus says. Of verse 46, 47, 48. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped. 
You know, we read where Jesus wept. That's good. It shows compassion. This one said Jesus stopped. That's good. It shows that he responds to our situations. Hallelujah. And he said, call him here. So they called the blind man. So might have had his hand on somebody's shoulder. I don't know. He's walking over. And he said, take courage. Stand up. He is calling for you. Now the disciples changed. Because they, they, they don't have a full understanding. But this, this guy does. He's tapping into God's grace. And he, he's, he throws aside his cloak, which we find out in history was an identifier that he was a blind man. He threw away his cloak, which is a statement of faith. And he jumped up and came to Jesus, wouldn't you? And answering him, Jesus said, hey, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> See, that's that has said thing. That's that thing. He's, it, this is that obligatory, loyal love. This is that mutual relationship. He looks at this son of Israel. He looks at this Hebrew. And he says, man, what do you want? What can I do for you? And the band says, Rabboni, that's another word of respect, teacher. I want, you, I want to regain my sight. I want to regain my sight. Because in Isaiah, it was foretold that the prophet Isaiah, uh, the, from the prophet Isaiah, that the Messiah, among many things, because he would have the Holy Spirit on him, would bring deliverance to captives and recovery of sight to the blind. That guy would have studied that in his Hebrew school, whether, and he would have to, it was before Braille, so somebody would have to teach it to him, auditory, and he learned it. Faith comes by hearing the word, similar to what's happening here. And based on that, confidence is produced in his heart. And when Jesus comes by, he will not be ignored or denied. He has a holy desperation. The Eagles wrote the song Desperado, interesting song. You know, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for too long. Interesting lyrics, pop song, uh, uh, very good writing, actually. Uh, thinking about straddling the fence. How long are you going to sit on the fence? Uh, even God said that. How long are you going to halt between two opinions? Listen, so somewhere between, I'm going to put my demand on, it, da, 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 and is this place of, God, I honor and reverence you. You're good, and I, the Lord is good. I entered your gates with reverence. My kids are honoring to me. They honor their mom and me. They, 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 we've taught them, trained them in the way they should go, and they've honored us. But they know we will give. We will do what we can to the best of our ability to get them educated and prepared and developed. One of my kids said, you know, the goal of kids, Dad, is to leave. <laughs> and they, they weren't being snotty. They, they, I said the goal of parents is to create a nest from which for our kids to launch out of. The goal of parenting is to create independence in our kids and the sense of being able to stand on the word of God, the promises of God, be prepared, be equipped to go out and lead uh, effective lives, right? So we train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The goal right now I have as a pastor, if you can hear me just a couple more minutes, is to equip you, to train you. No, I'm not saying we strut in there and start barking at God like these are the promises I believe are a command. But on the other hand, when the Bible assigns us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, in the Hebrew it would be the throne of hesed, of faithfulness, and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Mercy, grace, loving kindness. Did you hear this? Christians, did you hear this? There are things happening for the Jewish people right now that are on time synchronized with the purposes of God in this book. And we get to watch it. And 
History deniers or revisionists will just throw that away or bark and get weird. But the fact of the matter is God's doing his thing. Regardless of the nations and the upheaval and all that, nations are just a drop of the bucket. God's faithful to his covenant. So I'm excited. I stand in respect at what God's doing. So, but as a Christian, I come along and I go, I stand in respect at what God will do for me. I know that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Think about the reward of Bartimaeus. Hey, take courage. He calls you. And he comes up and says, what can I do for you? Rabboni? He says, oh, that I would receive my sight. Oh, that my wayward son would come back to the Lord. Oh, that the remainder of my job situation will be timely in the way God wants it to be. Oh, that you deliver me from evil and help me to make good decisions. Keep me on the sunny side of things. Help me, Father, to walk this thing out all the way to the end. Don't you know God wants to do that? In fact, he's honor-bound to his word. Well, you just can't go there and tell God. But I'm not saying to go tell God what to do. I'm saying... Take what God's word says and present it to him in faith and say, God, I have courage because this is what you said, and you're faithful. You're trustworthy. That's why people work overtime and hire criticism. Well, you don't know, you can't trust the Bible. You know, it was all, there are all these discrepancies. I like what Pastor Jack Hayford from Church on the Way said. Concerning discrepancy, there are no major doctrines of the Bible that have any discrepancies from the Genesis to Revelation. Here's what Paul said. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness so the man, woman, or child of God may be equipped, fully furnished, adequate, sufficient for every good work. God is good. God is powerful. He's not weak toward us. I've watched the Lord do such powerful things when I was complete, I felt like a cardboard box. Guess what? It kind of was. But the Bible says we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Isn't that great? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh, and that's where we need him. Because our flesh is weird. Okay, let's get to this part. He said, Jesus said to him, because he asked for his sight, Go, what? Your faith has made you well. What, how is his faith exhibited? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There's an element of desperation and need. There's an element of acknowledgement of the goodness and grace of who Jesus really is and what he represents. Hey, God made a covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob, with Moses, with David. He's faithful. Now the Messiah is here with healing in his wings. And I'm going to go forth and skip about like a calf from the stall. Oh, that I'd receive my sight. Jesus says, you got it. Go, your faith has made you well. Amen. Now look at the rest of Bartimaeus. And immediately he regained his sight and began to do a hula dance. <laughs> I made that part up. But the joy on this. Contrast. That's a covenant man, a Jewish man. Here's a goyim. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus is trying to take a break. He got up and went away from there, and he went to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. You ever need a moment like that? 
the Lord Jesus wanted a break. It says, after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. Everybody say Gentile. A Syrophoenician by race. And she kept asking him. So here's a woman, Goyim, Syrophoenician, interrupting Jesus on his vacation. And she kept asking him, kept asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And Jesus made a technical point about context. He was saying to her, let the children, those, that would be the Jews, be satisfied first. Because in that context, Jesus was called to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Gentile age of the gospel spilling over as was promised through Abraham hadn't happened yet. The nations eventually would be blessed through Abraham's covenant, but it wasn't happening yet. But yet even out of the context of that, she got a hold of this. She found out about how faithful the God, the Hebrews was. And her daughter was all messed up with an unclean spirit. What does that mean? Whatever. No medication, no hospitals, no therapy. The girl was in a real problem like so many we see today. And she kept asking him, please cast a demon out of my daughter. So she knew there was power. He was not only good, but he was also powerful. And here he was. She found him. He was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Dogs are the goyim. Jews, goyim, church. Church hadn't happened yet. Redemption hadn't come yet. And she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, which is respect. Even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, because of this answer, go, the demon has come out of your daughter. People read that like, did Jesus get disrespectful to her, dismissive of her? He was stating the reality of the separation between the Jew and those out of the covenant. But she reaches over and says, wait a minute. I've heard about the covenant-keeping God. That's what Rahab did. Rahab said, Rahab was a harlot on the other side of Jericho. And she said, we heard about you. And would you please spare my family? It's like, and then she's on the list, who's who's list of people who pressed in in the desperation and believed God. So this isn't, I'm going to tell you right now what I want, God. But it is, you know what, Lord? We know you are good. And your loving kindness and your mercy and your faithfulness, your loyal, obligatory love cannot be ignored, will not be diminished, and can be attained by the Jewish guy. And now, and even in this context, this woman was out of, not even in a covenant, cried out, and Jesus said, you can have it. Which gave, him, gave her a crumb, which now we have the whole loaf. I want you to stand. I want you to get in agreement with me. I've seen people get life extensions from this. I've seen people defy the odds from this. I've seen people win in battles with this. So we can't touch the hem of his garment anymore because it's gone. But he's not gone. He said, I'm the Lord, I change not. He said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not a cessationist. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit for today. I don't believe those gifts ceased. I believe they're intact for today. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. These signs shall follow those who believe. What do we believe? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, please cast the demon out of my daughter. Jesus, cast the demon out of my daughter. Jesus, cast the demon out of my daughter. Jesus, cast the demon out of my daughter. I can't give that which is holy to the dogs. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs under the table. I remember It's a Wonderful Life when that George, when he was sitting at the bar and he went, oh God, please help me. I thought it was one of the best pieces of acting I'd ever seen. It felt so real to me. He's choking back tears. He was desperate. He was suicidal. He felt like his life was ended. All things were crazy. And he's like, God, please help me. You might be in that kind of situation, God. But you know, on his end, he's, his arm is not too short. The devil works overtime like he did with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? He's holding back from you. If you eat the fruit that he said not to eat, you'll be like God. Well, they already were made in God's image. God told him not to eat it. The devil's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. But this God is the father of lights in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He never changes. He's always the same. He's a covenant-keeping God. Faithful to all generations. So extract encouragement from seeing the woman with the hemorrhage get healed. Blind Bartimaeus throwing off his coat and walking away. I can see. Can you imagine what it'd be like for that guy looking at you, looking at you? He'd see some reflection. He'd go, whoa, I need a shave. He'd look at people. Who are you? I'm your mom. Mom! Guess what happened to me over by Jericho? Zacchaeus, tax ripoff, liar. I don't need tax revival. He just ripped people off and they didn't like him. Comes down off the tree, has lunch, comes back out, makes restitution. What? They're going, why would you go and be with that guy? Because he ate and drank with publicans and sinners. That's why. Pharisees would get mad when he'd eat and drink with publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners would get mad when he'd eat and drink with Pharisees and scribes. <laughs> Jesus was an equal opportunity to make everybody mad guy. He says, I want to do the will of, the God, of God, and that's to seek and save that which is lost. Yes. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the work of the evil one. Yes. Jesus' name. I pray our sensibilities would be governed by the Word of God. People would see the thorough theological reasonableness of these conclusions. That the glory of God would fill each house. That God, you minister to every man, woman, and child in this room by a touch of the Holy Spirit. God is good. God is powerful. God is present. I pray breakthrough, not breakdown. God, I know the times Patsy and I, our marriage got so rough, but you brought us through. The times we got so discouraged, but you lifted us up. The times things looked so bleak, but you turned things around. The times we felt so disappointed and deprived, and yet you were always there, ever-present, loving, wonderful, faithful, faithful, faithful God. Forgive us for whining. Fear not, only believe. Say this with me. God is good. God is powerful. God is present. I trust you, Jesus. There's a woman with a hemorrhage. There's a blind Bartimaeus. If there's a demon-possessed kid, somebody near death, somebody's sad, somebody who's lost a loved one, you're near the brokenhearted, God of all comfort. I know things can get brighter and better 
for our country, please help it not to go stupid into a tailspin, Lord. Please help our country not to go stupid. Please help our country not to go to hell. Please help our country not to go to hell. Please help our leaders not to put hellish decisions before us. Help us to make the right choices in our nation, God. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Pray for those in authority over us that we may lead a quiet, godly life of tranquility. Like Abraham Lincoln said, the lovers of tranquility, I pray there would be great peace on our country. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.